0: Happy Monday to everybody out there. Welcome to the Ryan Russillo Podcast, and the regular podcast network, and our presenting sponsor, State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs, like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency, award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service, State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And who wants to talk some chicken? I do. Raising canes, LSU, by the way, this weekend. Shout out to Todd Graves and everyone at Baton Rouge. Raising Cane's knows the best chicken finger meals are made fresh. Their chicken fingers are hand-battered and cooked to order to make each bite as tender and juicy as possible. Give them a dip in that tangy next-level cane sauce and consider your spot hit. That's right. At Raising Cane's Chicken Fingers, quality isn't complicated, and their menu is proof. Visit RaisingCanes.com to find the restaurant nearest you and taste the difference cooked-to-order makes. Okay, the plan for today is uh, is a simple one. I'll give you my week two NFL awards, which eventually you'll probably figure out the plan of what these are every single week. And then life advice at the very end. I'm going to give out a Madden code, if Kyle can remind me to. And Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports covered the NFL for a really, really long time. Used to be Pro Football Weekly, uh, going way back to when we had him on ESPN Radio Bunch. So that's what we're going to do. And he's with, uh, again, Yahoo Sports now. So let's get a little music started. And we will start with the first award after week two. And that is the Bad Headline of the Week award, meaning misleading. Do you remember when the Titanic sunk? A lot of you don't. Uh, the Titanic sunk and uh, there were all sorts of headlines that were incredibly wrong, including from the World Newspaper that reported hit the headline of Titanic sinking, no lives lost. A lot of people screwed this up, started looking it up. Uh, the Vancouver Journal said rescue boats on the way, everyone's safe. Uh, no, inaccurate. And I felt like this was inaccurate as well. Herbert wows Bolts, but Taylor still starter if 100%. Tyrod Taylor is good enough to be on a team for a really long time and probably average enough to constantly be replaced. And um, I could say it's not Tyrod Taylor's fault, but it kind of is Tyrod Taylor's fault that even though there's some sneaky numbers that make you feel better about it, everyone that has him always tries to replace him. And Justin Herbert, who I would say, even though he goes sixth, that's a pretty split group over the years of how good he people thought he could be. But he looked terrific in his first game against the Chiefs, where it ends up being this last minute start because we learned that Taylor had these chest pains, but he had like a rib thing on Friday, but thought he was good to go. Herbert didn't think he was going to be playing at all. No one thought he was, and maybe that was the best way to go about it. But twenty two, of thirty three, three hundred eleven yards, ran for one, threw for one, did have the bad pick, but. I just like the way he hung in there uh, against a Chiefs team that's still defensively. Remember how the Chiefs finished up defensively. It was actually a really good defensive team. So um, this is one of those headlines where I don't know why teams do this. They can't help themselves. They'll say the vet is still the starter, or they'll say we're going to bring the young guy along slowly. And then the young guy, because most of these teams aren't any good, are playing by week three or four. So every team does it all the time and yet it always ends up the young guy playing because they just want to turn the page on the you know, on the guy that's already been in place or been in the league for years like Tyrod Taylor and you're like you know what I actually think this guy just gives us more of a chance and let's start the progression on him now the other part of this and um, I was reading the Athletic on different defenses and the Chargers defense is look they were great against the Chiefs Okay, great. And one piece that I was reading was kind of going through projections for all the different defenses and in a lot of the places, depending on the grading stuff and, and what you wanted to look at. Most people came to this year thinking the Ravens, again, this is all with the health thing, but coming in, the Ravens were best positioned to be maybe the best defense in the NFL. When I watched the Chargers yesterday, and not only what Gus Bradley does and a lot of the stuff is is trying to keep everything like everyone, it's not Some insightful thing to go, oh, this is that football team that tries to keep everything in front of them. Yeah, I'll say that on the air. I'll sound really cool uh, because everybody says it all the time. But that's kind of what Gus Bradley has done. These three deep things that he's done in the past. But if you look at their personnel, Bosa, Uh, Linvald Joseph was brought into the interior. Melvin Ingram, who I love, who I think doesn't get enough love because of Bosa. I mean, they bring in Kenneth Murray. Um, They brought over Chris Harris, Rayshon Jenkins. This is a team that has a lot of talent, and that's not even including the fact that Derwin James is hurt again. So um, this piece from uh, Capadia. at The Athletic. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right, but shout out to the piece that he did because it was really good. He's like, look, he he projected defenses. The Chargers were 21st last year. He said, oh, I think they can be the second best defense. That's a massive, massive jump, but I actually, after watching him now a couple of times, I don't think it's crazy. Uh, They were, and here's why. Points out that Chargers last year were last in red zone defense, uh, last in short yardage defense, and produced turnovers at the fourth lowest rate. So what happens with that is you'll say, oh, well, wait a minute, that's a problem that they have. Yeah, a lot of that stuff ends up, especially the turnovers. Very few teams consistently have turnover rates that are, like, always bad or always great, okay? Unless you have just an incredible quarterback who never makes any of those mistakes. But for the most part, you can be, like, plus 10, and then you, if you think you're going to be plus 10 in turnovers the next year, you're just not going to be. And so the Chargers had a bunch of things work against them, including including how often they had injuries. So i have just looked this one up, too. Um... I think they ended up having one of the worst injury luck, which is basically what it's like to be a Chargers fan because of the history there. Um, so, shout out to the Chargers, shout out to uh, Herber, even in all of this in a loss, but I think for somebody to play that well, especially you go against the Chiefs and yet the whole time you're watching this, you're like, okay, it doesn't matter, the Chiefs are just going to go ahead and win. Okay, this is my, I might be wrong, but I'm not going to admit it because I'm on TV. That award goes to me uh, on Josh Allen. I was convinced that Josh Allen was in the Mitch Trubisky class of things where you were just watching an inevitable demotion, and even though they won games last year, and by By the way, the Bills defense, which we all liked last year, but they faced the second easiest schedule of any offenses last year, had the third best injury luck on defense as well. And yes, I know they've played Miami and the Jets, who look like they should be relegated, but Josh Allen has gone for 729 yards, six touchdowns, no picks, completion percentage, it's like around 70%, and he's number one in the NFL in a bunch of stats. And he's Look, I don't care who it is on the schedule. I'm just telling you that somebody who didn't look confident, I don't think the play calling was confident with him, he looks different to me. And because, well, I shouldn't even say I'm on TV anymore because I'm really not that—not on, on TV that much uh, at all. I don't think, I'm trying to think. Kyle, when was the last time I was even on TV? Do we know? Yeah, I don't know. I think no. it was like, yeah, I think it might have been get up or or I think it might have been Van Pelt Sports Center draft. It probably was. And then I wouldn't have gone back to... August, yeah, so it's been it's been over a year. So I can't even say that, but that's a great award um, because basically if you say you don't think Josh Allen is any good in the TV business, you're just supposed to ride that out for 15 fucking years. Um, but I'm going to just go ahead with that one and give myself that one, all right? Okay, let's update the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady legacy rankings for our third award. And this week, Tom goes from number two in legacy rankings to number one and Belichick and arrow, red arrow down, goes from number one to number two. What has happened in the week since we had the order uh, in the opposite direction? Well, Bill lost in Seattle and Tom won at home. So that's pretty important when you're doing legacy rankings. The Cam Newton part of this for Belichick, though, like that doesn't it's weird. Like that's the most positive vibe of loss that Patriots have had since they lost in the regular season to Kurt Warner in the Rams Uh, when they played them in the regular season at Foxborough and blitzed when they got off the bus and then changed up their rematch in the Super Bowl. But that game I think told the Patriots that they could compete with them when they were an underdog in the Super Bowl with Brady and that group. And who knows if that game had gone another five minutes, the Rams probably win it once they started to figure some things out. They just didn't finish it out, figure it out until like 50 plus minutes to go into the game or 50 plus minutes played in the game. But This is what it feels like, and that was, what, almost 20 years ago? The Patriots' love for Cam um, from the fan base, from the media, and all of this is just, it's weird to think of this team that has this kind of history and for them to lose a close game where, I don't know, I'm not a play-calling guy, but when the Cam Newton power run has worked so well you almost feel like you have to call it, but there is absolutely no other option. Like you couldn't have leaked a tight end out to the left side. You couldn't have done anything. I guess they didn't want to. They want to keep everybody in the block. And if they know exactly what you're going to do and it's a run, I don't know that prevented uh, New England from maybe having a better chance at it. But I'm not, I'm not really even sitting here doing the Monday morning quarterback and second guessing it. It just felt a little bit like, okay, well everybody kind of knows what you're going to do because it's worked so well here. But the Cam Newton story has been a, Massive success, and I didn't even think he necessarily threw it. They didn't really ask him to throw it that much uh, against Miami. It was a power running game. They didn't have to throw late because they were in control. It was a two-to-one run-pass ratio. He had to get out and chuck it all over the field against Seattle last night, and he was terrific, but not enough to uh, supplant Brady because that's just real simple, the way these power rankings work. Depending on who won and who lost, we're just going to update them that way. Um, something to think about here, Cam, going up against Miami – um, who've been lit up by Josh Allen, but also Seattle. Seattle's defense right now, their pass defense, if you want to pronounce it that way, uh, this is this is worth pointing out because it may it may mean nothing, right? It could be just two weeks in, new pieces back there trying to figure this whole thing out. Because we thought it was going to be this defense that was improved from some of those passer numbers that I was telling you about, like. Why? Why are they so bad against the pass for this long? And I don't know that it's talked about unless you're just a real, you know, into it everyday Seahawks fan. But they're now giving up 415.5 yards per game passing. That's an absurd number. Jacksonville, Atlanta's the second worst at 372. So you're like, oh, well, you know, whatever, 50 yards. Jacksonville's the worst pass defense right now at 294. So think about it. I'm just going to repeat that one more time. Jacksonville... (laughs) Jacksonville's at 294 they're the third worst in the NFL Atlanta's at 372 they're second worst and Seattle is easily the worst so they're basically 120 yards worse per game passing than Jacksonville that's that's look very early may not mean anything but good luck against Dak this upcoming week listen to the meathead award that goes to the Harbaugh brothers who's got it better than us A few years ago, John Harbaugh, head coach of the Ravens, um, said about limited hitting in practice that it's actually going to be something that leads to more injuries. And because everybody in a very short amount of time started trying to get football to be different than football is banned. And some of it is very clear. I think the helmet-to-helmet stuff that happened and, and people fought about, hey, there's nothing, there's no way you can, you know what? Actually, we just see less of it because players are more aware. And they had to be egregious in calling the penalties. They had to be almost unfair in calling this stuff just to get people to start thinking about it. And it's very clear that the safeties think about it all the time, not saying it never happens. I mean, it happened where one of the Seahawks was ejected to them and to kill Harry hit, which was nasty. Um, I can't believe Nikhil Harry hung on that football, but I'm not going to do a Nikhil Harry uh, segment right now but harbaugh brought up the point that the less hitting is actually a little bit like fighting in that you could be more susceptible to injuries because you're not hitting as much and it was met with like eye rolls the people who've never hit anything in their entire lives were going <coughs> this idiot he's right and i don't know if that's why we had everybody get hurt this weekend i mean the injury role is unbelievable especially you know selfishly i know a lot of you out there on the fantasy part of this i think you have three of the top seven draft position players two are ones out for the season two's out for a while of the third guy um we don't know how long he's going to be out it could very well be with san francisco in particular where it's bosa where it's Moster, and garoppolo who actually this is weird as much as i'm not the biggest garoppolo guy i thought he threw the football really well uh in that game, despite clearly struggling and the high ankle, like he just just couldn't move around. But still, you see some of the power in these throws that Shanahan's even pointed out that it's not necessarily it's that part of his game that's frustrating some of the physical stuff. But I actually like the way through the football and it didn't really matter again because it was the Jets. But maybe at least for those injuries, it is that turf and they have to play there again. So they're concerned about that. But I have to think I am in the position the meathead is right here that never hitting anything and then going out and hitting each other is going to be something that leads to more injuries. I think it is. Many of you will disagree. And the final award for this week, it's the Taylor Swift Award. And that is for Dallas Cowboys social media, where somehow Lakers have this a little bit as well. Somehow all Cowboys fans think everybody else wants to hear about their problems. And we don't. None of us do. And yet... If you were to say anything about the Cowboys, the Swifties would come right after you. Have you ever criticized Taylor Swift, Kyle, on social media?
1: No, sir. I
0: have Don't not. do it. Don't do it, okay? Because it's dangerous. And to say anything anti-Cowboys is dangerous. Yet all the Cowboys fans are saying the exact same thing. So they're down twenty-nothing. They're getting lit up. And this is a bit weird too, because you know how like sometimes a close person could give you advice that's positive advice, but you actually just want it to be negative. I felt like, wait, Dak is lighting this team up. They're down three in the turnovers. They had the bad fake punt. They also had another fake that didn't work out for them as well. And I I kind of thought even if they lost the game. The part that's supposed to be right with Dak and these receivers, Ezekiel Elliott, all of that stuff was working. He was going nuts. It's just the defense was getting diced up by Matt Ryan, who put up a huge shortage again in a loss. But the reason I make the Taylor Swift comparison is that like a lot of times with Taylor Swift, she's telling us about her problems all the time. And you're like, you know what? Things are generally been pretty good for you, Taylor, though. Can you can you at least admit that part? And all Cowboys fans want to do is tell you about their problems. And I don't think any of us ever want to just go, hey, what's going on with you? Well, you got a few minutes. I'd like to tell you about everything that's going wrong. And Cowboys fo- uh, fans express their disappointment. I mean, McCarthy sucked uh, for two weeks now, and he's, he's a problem again. Meanwhile, they're putting up huge, huge offensive numbers. I, this could end up being the kind of moment where a team looks back at their success and says, that was something that brought us together. That's how it'll work out. That'll be playing the results it very well too could be that they can't play defense and we'll forget about this thing and the final part of this game is that onside kick sometimes with coaches and people are like hey Dan Quinn because of the Super Bowl it's like get him out of there um, the Atlanta head coach but sometimes with the coach player thing I'll just watch and go why is it the coach's fault that his own coverage team on the onside kick, didn't seem to understand that they could get on the ball before the 10 yards. Like You're allowed to touch it whenever you want to. The kicking team has to wait the 10 yards. And some of it's a little indecision that if I go down for it right away and then there's positioning on the coverage team where you're like, okay, these guys are right next to me and as soon as I make a move, they're going to push me into the ball and I'm a little worried about it. But you know what's way worse is when the kicking team can actually go ahead and cover this up. And it made me think, would there ever be a moment where a Patriots team would be on the coverage unit and they would stare and screw that up? And they just wouldn't. (laughs) You just I can't fathom ever seeing a Pats team under Belichick go, yeah, we were a little indecisive on that one. We weren't really sure what to do. And that's what happens with Atlanta. I'm not saying Quinn or anybody should lose their job over this. It's just sometimes I personally get frustrated when it's like, well, it's up to the players to get on that and know the rule. And then there's just times you're like, look, when Donovan McNabb didn't know the overtime rules, we can't ever forget how often guys that do this for a living don't know all of the rules. And you'd think onsides are common enough where it happens, like at least usually, you know, maybe not averaging out to once a game, but close to it when there's some final thing where somebody's trying to get the ball back in a weird late deal there. But it looked like Atlanta was completely clueless to that. But yes, this could be a positive for Dallas, or we'll go, oh, remember that we all thought that was going to be a positive for Dallas? This team can't play defense at all, and they're not going to the Super Bowl like everybody thought. Those are this week's awards. Yeah, we'll keep talking football here, Eric, at home in a moment, but introducing Bacardi Spiced Rum. You'll love the classic, and now you'll love the new Bacardi Spiced Rum. Sip along with your friends and enjoy delicious Bacardi and cola for game day this weekend. Bacardi Spiced Rum, your choice of cola, maybe throw in a lime. What more could you ask for for a game day ritual? Tackle your weekend and spice up the game with new Bacardi Spiced Rum. Um, Bacardi Spiced Rum, I, you know who's not afraid of a Bacardi Spiced Rum? Those Saints fans. So unfortunately, uh, wherever they're at, you know, make it happen with a little Bacardi and you're going to feel like you're at, I don't know, shout out to, uh, I don't know which place I want to name. Cause I don't want to play favorites to anybody, but I don't, I don't just Galatoise. You ever had a spice rum at Galatoise? You're not living until you have. So Bacardi do what moves you. Drink responsibly. Bacardi USA, Coral Gables, Florida. Rum with natural flavors and spices. 35% alcohol by volume. Also remind you, throughout the season, we're teaming up with FanDuel again this football season. We've got something new this time around. All season long, you can play the free ringer mega contest on FanDuel. Here's how it works. Just pick five NFL games against the spread, including one double down pick. Get one point for every correct pick and two if you hit your double down pick. FanDuel will add up your score every week. Just finish in the top 100 of the season-long leaderboard to make the playoffs and compete for a share of $25,000. All right, so tight one there with New England and Seattle last week. We got the win there. I'm going to go ahead and give out. This line's weird, Arizona opened at three and a half at home against Detroit uh, it's now at six so I'll go ahead and just take the six of Detroit Detroit's off to a bad start take them and by the way Arizona again they're supposed to they weren't supposed to be San Francisco they're supposed to be Washington and I think even Washington a little fool's gold there I don't even know if it was that because it was just such a collapse by the Eagles by the way some of these Wentz numbers just continue to be terrible um so, I don't know. That just seems like a lot of points for Arizona this soon to be giving away. Or maybe, you know, Detroit continues to be a disaster. But uh, that's the only one there. Because I just want to do something that um, felt a little less like an obvious one. Because I think everybody had Seattle. Um, and it worked out. And by the way, it goes for two. That would have been a loser um, on the line that we gave out there. So, there you go. Um, you can still join if you missed out so far. But you're going to get on this, okay? Don't wait until it's too late. And the promos that FanDuel is doing with us have been... Awesome. And once you navigate through the whole thing, just put the app on the phone. Just go, hey, look, I'm going to get involved here. It, and it helps the show. Okay. So if you were half, you know, you're on the fence on this whole thing, and am sure, do it for me. All right. It'd be a personal favor to me to go ahead and sign up and do it. So here you go. The top 100 make the playoffs to compete for a share of $25,000. Play the ringer. Mega contest for free every week, only on Fanduel. Here's what you need to know. Go to fanduel.com forward slash mega contest to make your picks today. That's fanduel.com slash mega contest. Thanks again. Uh, this is a guy I've talked to for a long time. I mean, this goes back to a long time. So it's it's been too long, and I'm excited to talk with him. It's Eric at home, Yahoo Sports. He's uh, more of their draft guy now, but he's always ready to go on any of the NFL stuff. So let's let's start with a topic that I haven't really even done on my own. Uh, the first two weeks of the season, And that's Lamar Jackson of the Ravens picking up right where they left off this regular season r- run, the, the amount of games that they've won in a row and that it looks the same. And people came into it being like, look, this is going to be the best defense. If not, you know, look, we'll put it in the top five, but maybe the best defense and Lamar just picking right up where he left off. I have a theory on it, though, and that is. I mean, one could be just that they're really good and well-coached, which seems to be true, but that when everyone has gone one way, they've gone the other, and I think they physically wear you down, and this isn't breaking news, but we saw it in that Houston game, Eric, where the pass rush starts showing up constantly towards the end, and then the big run plays that they're chunking off at the end to put that one away against what I still think is supposed to be a decent Houston team. It just feels like they're built differently, but now everyone's expecting it, so it's not even that big of a storyline, which seems crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd think them having success with all the targets on them. I mean, last year, you know, let's face it, they kind of sneaked up on people, right? Now, now they're one of those teams, even with the, you know, the disappointing playoff exit. Yeah. I. The other thing we heard was, oh, once people get all this tape on Lamar going to the laboratory, it's going to, they'll be able to break it down. Well, so far that hasn't really happened yet. So who knows? He'll face some opponents that'll be a little bit better uh, equipped to handle that. But yeah, it's that combination of really three running backs now. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins, that mix. Uh, you get a healthy Marquise Brown. I mean, boy, he's a, a, a little lightning rod. And, you know, the tight ends haven't really lost anything with Hurst gone. And, and, it, and it's a great formula. And Lamar's, for the most part, making all the throws. So I'm just, I'm kind of shocked people aren't sort of talking about the MVP off to yet another hot start.
0: Yeah, I, I was wondering, did you have them go to the Super Bowl coming out or is it the Chiefs? No, I didn't actually. <laughs> I
1: said they wouldn't win the division. I was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, for my like cutesy, like, oh, I'm going to impress people six months from now, pick. <laughs> Steelers will win in that division. Ravens will be the wild card. You know, who knows? They're both really good. But uh, a little bit of that was sort of, uh, all right, I got to take somewhat of a stance on these these season prediction things. I, you know, I clearly thought there might be a tiny bit of regression. But boy, so far, I, I've looked a little silly on that
0: one. Yeah, and, and again, especially with a week that we just had all these injuries, I mean, we'll see whose defense is holding up here, say yeah. week four and week eight. Uh, the Cam Newton story has felt thin uh, throughout the entire offseason. Like we understood, okay, he's been hurt. What are you getting here? How beat up is he? And I know even today, after a ridiculous performance against Seattle, I, I even saw some people this morning saying like, oh, Carolina should have never left him go. I think sometimes franchises just want to move on and try something new when it when it hasn't been working out. But yet still – to think that he lasted that long in the market to think that the patriots just go okay hey here's a million bucks with definitely some good bonus structure in there for him um and let's go ahead and do this what what do you know what can you share with us at least on on how this all went down because i think people now after two weeks are demanding more answers when it felt like everyone was indifferent
1: right if you're the fan of a team that's not the new england patriots and you know i mean it may even include the carolina panthers you're saying to yourself why did my GM not do more than just, you know, kick the proverbial tires on Cam Newton this offseason? You know, and, and OK, so there's a so there's a pandemic and you, you can't have your doctor put their hands on Cam and all that. Last time I checked, you know, medical records are able to be uh, you know, emailed and attached and all that stuff. And you can at least do some preliminary findings. So The question is, did, did teams start to look at the medical aspect of Cam and get spooked and not feel like he was somebody they wanted to sign? Or was it just a case of, hey, we've got our guy at quarterback, we we have our plan in place, and and yeah, Cam's great, but we're going that way. Uh, you know, there there are plenty of zero and two teams or one and one teams with quarterback issues that have to be kicking themselves, knowing, yeah, maybe there was a little bit of Bill Belichick, you know, sort of using the cap against you know at the time they had cap issues. Maybe it was him kind of saying, we'd love to have you, but this is all we can pay you. And maybe he took less at New England that he would have, you know, wanted from some other team, but it's still just unfathomable. And it brings up the question of what's his next deal going to look like? Cause right now, you know, it's, it's like having the biggest house in the neighborhood, not knowing what to comp it against, right. For, for pricing, it's a tricky one to figure out. I would say maybe Ryan Tannehill's deal is what he wants because they're about the same age. You know, they're about the same Tannehill's a year older, so You know, maybe that's where you start and say, "Okay, four years, 118 million. That's the kind of thing he wants. Maybe the Patriots would go two years, 60 million. I don't know. That's more money than than typically Tom Brady saw on a year yearly basis.
0: Yeah, that is actually pretty fascinating. I don't even know if they would do that, though. I don't know. What would they do? Right. Right. I mean, who knows with them? Because it always feels like Belichick would would. He, not to say cute, not to say petty's the wrong time, even though I I think there have been times where Belichick can be petty, but I I could see him just saying, hey, we're not doing that. I mean, the only times they've really ever paid, they pay, they paid Gilmore and it didn't even work right away, but then they gave him the raise. Um, they did the the short term on Revis, which I think surprised some people because it was like, oh, Belichick's not going to want to pay that much. It was like, no, for right. one year of somebody's great. Belichick will I mean we could go all the way back to Adelius Thomas which ended up not working out at all but they usually the only times they usually pay somebody is when they go street free agent and uh and usually you could argue it hasn't worked out in like the 20 years he's been doing it which is which is kind of crazy but the the other part with Cam and this is something I've always joked about is that there's one of the most predictable storylines ever is that the backup quarterback in New England is one of the most overrated players in the NFL historically all the time. Whether you want to yeah. go Ryan Mallett, I mean, you could even make an argument for Garoppolo. Maybe that's not entirely fair. I don't think Jacoby Brissett uh, is eligible for that because I think his story and the fact he became a starter is a huge success, so I'm not putting him in that group. But the idea that like Jarrett Stidham was right there and neck and neck with Cam Newton and then see him do what he did in Seattle uh, and then Stidham wasn't the active guy. He, Hoyer was active in week one anyway. Um, I, I don't know. like I don't I know it can be the Patriots trying to be cute about the whole thing, but uh, the camp part of this is a huge success. And you could I guess you could argue maybe you're right about the salary cap part of it, that even the Patriots were a little indifferent about it, because if they had loved him, they would have picked him up sooner. They probably would have given him more guaranteed money. But then it also proves that that market, as we said at the very top, was that bad for him. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, this sort of feels, in a weird way, it's going to be a strange comparison, but I'm sure you read, I think it was Michael Hawley's book years ago when he talked about the Patriots, how they built their their phase one, 1.0 dynasty or whatever. The drafting of Brady, everybody knows the story, but Belichick at some point during that 2000 draft said, wait a minute, Tom Brady shouldn't be out here, right? Like we've already spent eight draft picks at this point. We have three QBs in the roster. Let's just take the kid. It was a market inefficiency. And that's how I view what they saw Newton was because they they sort of sniffed around him in March, sort of showed, you know, faint interest. Nobody wanted him. And then they revisited it three months later and said, wait a minute, what are we missing here? If we can get him on X number of dollars for one year in a proven situation, ultimate competitor here looking to get paid, maybe we benefit, right? Maybe, maybe Jared Stidham's great. Who knows? I don't think he is. But like why not have that insurance and also that guy who potentially could, could win the job and do really well with it. So I think they just saw it as like a market inequality and why wouldn't we sign him at this point?
0: So you're out of Chicago. You have been for a while, right? And, uh, I mean, are people there still like, I feel like every possession, you know, Mitch to Mitch on these deals becomes like, why didn't they call cam? um, because that seemed to be the one spot where it would make the most sense, unless he were going to be a backup to a place where he easily could have ended up getting the job, whether maybe the Chargers or um, if Roethlisberger were to be hurt again or something like that. But it feels like Chicago, at least very well, could have could have put him in that offense immediately. And if he's healthy, as we have seen in New England, he'd be able to play.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think there was, you know, I mean, the company line that they, they were pushing this offseason was, hey. Nick Foles, yes, we had to pay a little extra for him money-wise, pick-wise, but he's worked with three of our assistants before, and Matt Nagy was with him as well in Kansas City. You know, this is the kind of guy who's been in this offense. The unspoken part was that, well, Foles, other than that one year with Chip, has always been the great relief pitcher. He's been great coming off the bench. He's the guy who can save your season if you need him to do that. Kind of non-threatening in a little bit of a way, although Carson Wentz might disagree, but still, like, I think the fear of signing Cam Newton was that it would undercut the possibility of Mitch having one last gasp to make it here in Chicago. I mean, to me, is that how I'd run a football team? No, it isn't. It's scary, right? The idea of we don't want anyone too good at quarterback. We just want someone who's like good enough in case things really fall apart. That's what Ryan Pace ultimately is looking against is – I mean, look, I, Mitch has played three great quarters and five not-so-great quarters this year. They're 2-0. and oh, It's good. But let's face it, I think most people would be taking Cam right now having seen what he's been able to do through two games.
0: Okay, Dallas has this incredible comeback. Um, it, it's looking awful, like this team is going in the wrong direction. The Cowboys fans are letting us know. Like You would have thought Jason Garrett was still the head coach. <laughs> uh, but what, what do you – Make of of McCarthy's approach to what they're trying to do with this offense, where they put up again massive numbers. It was more of a turnover issue, but what you've seen from them, or the kind of changes that they've made from last year, because some people still think, hey, it's still Callen's offense, and this is why this team was almost zero and two. Even though really it's the defense that got lit up in week two.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. Obviously, the defensive issues aside, I mean, they were aggressive, and and look, I mean, it was really those turnovers that put them in that was it twenty to nothing hole or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think they're going to do that every week. Obviously, I had I had him making the Super Bowl as my preseason pick. I thought McCarthy could. He and Belichick are probably the prime Coach of the Year candidates. Obviously, just for 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 the reasons we talked about earlier with Newton, and just the idea that almost any accomplished coach who came into that job was going to be viewed as an upgrade over Garrett, or just simply a change, a different sort of philosophy and in those end game situations. Now. Week one, we had questions about, hey, what was supposed to happen on that fourth down play? Was there a better approach, et cetera? Week two, we see, look, I don't know that they win that game with Jason Garrett, right? I mean, they they were in that situation how many times where they would storm back and come up just short or have a lead and blow it, and it just sort of felt like managing those games was not Jason's area of expertise. But McCarthy also had some situations in Green Bay where he got called out for it, but Sunday is nothing short of a, a phenomenal – I mean, maybe it's the flashpoint where they say, okay, you know, we, we got those first sort of seven quarters out of our system. Now we're ready to roll here. We'll see. I mean, the talent is clearly there. You worry about depth in a few spots. But Dax the real deal, man. He's, he's really, really good, and he's out to prove something right now.
0: In your draft coverage, uh, what was your – give me your breakdown of Herbert with the Chargers and then the stuff you were hearing.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the physical stuff that he's blessed with, you know, we saw it when he was a freshman in 2017, back when an NFL team told me that year, you're looking at, you know, after like five starts, they're saying, this kid is going to be in the running for the number one pick in the draft. And I guess technically he was, but he just never took that proverbial next step. He was never, it, it never felt like he improved at the things that held him back from being great, like a truly great college quarterback, but... You could see he could do it all, the Rolls Ball he used, his legs. There were times when he could throw. The one thing that really stood out to me was that there was always that that one or two plays per game that left you sort of a little slightly disappointing, that little bitter taste at the end. And boy, wasn't that just a snapshot of what we saw Sunday? Some absolutely big boy throws out there, some toughness as a runner, some evasiveness in the pocket, some really good high-end stuff. And then that one throw against the grain, against his body, when he could have picked up the first. That's the kind of thing that is going to be hanging on him all week. And it's really what kind of cloaked him as a prospect, I felt like. So there was a lot to like about him. There was very little to love, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, people were definitely split on him. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with his personality, too. And that he was a little too reserved. And yet, when I see him in that, that game this weekend, I thought he had some real juice to him. Like, even though there was the bad throw, there was way more to like than not to like. And there were possessions where I would say entire series in stretches. I mean, you know, I don't know if it's the Arizona State game. um, That's, that's, look, people are going to have bad games, but I've watched enough of him that there would be long stretches where I'd be like, where is he? Where is he right now? Yeah. and you know for the most part in that game maybe it was the best thing is that he didn't know he was going to have to go and it was last minute and then he gets out there and i had said in the open too like i can't possibly imagine that Tyrod Taylor is going to hold this guy off all season long but for those that liked him i think that's the game that you kind of point to even though yeah sometimes it's just the uncertainty of going up against somebody you didn't prepare for either but i thought there was just a confidence to him i thought there was a little um attitude he just seemed more confident and more engaged from someone at least when he was in college where you felt like he was floating it was almost like a basketball player that disappears for a while and you'd forget he was out there i mean yeah. obviously it's impossible at quarterback but that was one of the things that i would always think of when you would go okay it's 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 like one of these weird herbert games where he's not he's not reminding me of why yeah like you said uh, there are plenty of people that thought he'd be the number one pick a couple years later Yeah. Look at the
1: Auburn game last year in the opener, right? They, they storm out to a lead. Herbert made a couple, you know, he had that sort of one lucky touchdown to, to Breeland there where he's threw against his body. I mean, those are the kind of plays where you say, okay, right. He probably got away with one there or whatever, but he was still looking confident and good. And then they took the ball out of his hands. They didn't give it to him on a fourth down. that was convertible there. You know, they weren't having him throw except for just be, you know, before the sticks and stuff. I kind of wonder if he was, if he was not held back there and that, you know, the receiver town at Oregon seemed to dry up a little bit. You know, they had uh, a couple guys who have been sort of, you know, fringe NFL players. and I don't know. It just sort of felt like th- there were a couple things quietly working against them, even though he had a run game, the O-line, uh, and, all, and all the talent in the world. You know what it f- really foiled him last year, too, and that Arizona State game you mentioned? Zone defense seemed to like kind of get in his head a little bit. And when he saw some of those man looks yesterday, he attacked him. That's what I that's what I really appreciate about him is that he understands leverage for defenders and he understands that he has, you know, the arm talent to really cut through the air and get it to where he needs to go. But against zones, sometimes he looks a little kind of flummoxed
0: a little. You've been big on covering the opt-outs and and what's going to happen. What's kind of the biggest headline, biggest takeaway of the momentum of everything that's going on? And this is uncertainty in college football. Even though we get cranked up big time, it feels like at least this weekend. Right. Um, but give me kind of the biggest takeaway with all the people you're talking about and all the people you're reporting on, as far as what this draft is going to look like and what this season is going to look like.
1: Yeah, just sort of the uncertainty. Obviously, I think everybody knows that you know COVID allowed the opportunity for some of these players to say. All right, you know, there's there's too many unknowns here. I'm gonna declare into my third, you know, my third year. Skip that. And I wondered if it wasn't gonna be a future trend. Like you see Jamar Chase opt out. You know, SEC's playing this year became kind of clear at some point. It wasn't necessarily a COVID-related thing. And I wrote about it. I said, if this isn't the excuse, as great as Chase is, I mean, he's a top 10 pick all day long. But if this isn't maybe the tipping point or the the flashpoint for some other guys to be like. Who needs a third year, right? I mean, it's, it's some guys make bad decisions, some make good ones. But it's interesting to see how many guys are now trying to get back in, right? You know, Sean Wade uh, and Wyatt Davis at Ohio State. A lot of other guys wanting to play. Micah Parsons supposedly kind of feeling around. I mean, when I broke that story, the feeling I got was that he, he gone. You know, I mean, there's, there's no way. But now they're kind of rethinking things a little. That's fascinating to me because... A lot of these guys felt like they had a pretty sure draft footing when they, when they decided to leave in the first place.
0: I had Kevin Clark on, and he had a yeah. great um, quote from the front office of the Steelers, basically where uh, their guy was saying, look, if it's close, I'm going to be going with the guy that played. I saw that. And it was revealing, and it's also it's just great that somebody said something that had some meaning to it, where, <laughs> hey, by the way, I don't think he's necessarily giving away uh, a ton even though some GMs would just ever, ever, like they would never say that kind of stuff. Um, But how how real, like how much of an impact do you think that will be for other front offices to kind of defer to the guy they have twice as many games on?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if you listen to somebody like Chris Ballard for the Colts, the general manager, I mean, you know, he's always about like competition. And I mean, his big thing is, if a guy hasn't faced adversity, I'm going to have my questions about, what happens when he does face adversity. So, you know, there's, there's always different types of scouting philosophies on that thing. But as you mentioned, when Kevin Colbert said that to, to, to Kevin Clark, I thought, I mean, I'm really glad he said that for the transparency reason. I mean, I wonder, though, when it comes down to it, if you have a player like Jamar Chase who just put up a 20-touchdown season and looks like, like the second coming of Torrey Holt, are you really going to pass on that player or is this sort of lip service or is this going to be more of a tiebreaker type of deal where, okay, we've got even grades on two players at the same position. One opted out, one didn't. We're taking the guy who played last year. Are those situations going to come up pick after pick after pick year after year? Probably not. So I feel like it's a little bit of a, of a, I mean, I, I get why he said it and I understand why he might think that way old school, whatever, but in the end, I still think that ability is is more important than experience, in my opinion.
0: Well, we know the Steelers would never take Jamar Chase because he'd be a first rounder <laughs> anyway. So they would they would just wait in the second round and and be right again. Um, yeah, because they're they're killing it again with this year's class as well. Mm-hmm. All right, um, you had a nice. I like these kinds of pieces where you go, "Oh, okay, is this a trend or is this just something that happened?" Where you looked at every position in the NFL and then looked at which colleges produced the most. Did you find that there were times where it felt like the program did a great job in producing one position worth of talent or it just would be something that sort of happened where you had Oklahoma, I think, is the best producer of tackles active right now in the NFL. And then there were some other examples where I go, is that just a program that's pumping these guys out? Or it just happens to be they have a bunch of players at that position, and, and it has really nothing to do with how they develop guys.
1: Right. I mean, it, yeah, it was a great question. I wanted it was basically spurned the idea from from a, a, a NFL release that said, "Here are the schools that produce each position the most." Look, are they? eight backups or are they eight starters? Are they eight pro bowlers or are they just sort of average guys? I mean, obviously that the number itself isn't all that important, right? If you're not producing sort of top tier talent and then you start looking, okay, is the coaching staff been there a while? I wish I could have gotten into more of that. You know, people are raving about like Brian Hartline who played in the, in the league as a receiver, now coaching Ohio statewide receivers, you know, people are saying like those guys come into the league polished work ethic, ready to go perfectionist route running precision. So yeah, there are definitely examples of guys who are sort of tailor-made. They have all the ability, but they're nicely smoothed and crafted and they come into the league more of a finished product. So, you know, I would say that obviously has to do as much with the assistants as it does the head coaches, you know, anyone who recruits them. But yeah, I mean, some of these are fluky. Like, we were talking off the air. I mean, is NC State a quarterback factory, right? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, Mike Glennon, right? Okay, Russell Wilson before Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a little bit of a, you know... They, they right. Rivers
0: still counts. I mean, who else? Counts. You have Brissette, who was a transfer yep. in.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, they've had some guys who come through. I don't still don't understand how they couldn't keep Russ for one more year, but that's a whole different deal. I, I just... Yeah, I, I didn't consider them a, a, any kind of quarterback sort of, you know, laboratory or anything like that. But other positions like the line, like linebackers, like wide receivers. Yeah, I could see there's more of a correlation between the the teaching element and the, and the final product.
0: Yeah, it was good. Oklahoma, I was like, OK, that makes sense. And then there's different schools that think they're linebacker U and then there's DBU. And then it's <laughs> right. like, OK, but then there's like seven places that think they're defensive back U and you know depending on the year each one of them have a really good argument except for i don't know i mean i still don't think texas like they want to call themselves dbu but you're like yeah there's some other sec schools that have just loaded up and then ohio state on top of that as well so it can yeah. be a little cyclical but yeah there are traditions there where you feel like okay it's it's part of the branding uh, Eric, thank you very much, man, for uh, for jumping on with us here. Again, Eric at home, Yahoo Sports. He's a draft analyst. And as you get closer and closer throughout the college football season, we will have more stuff and then kind of leading up to the oddity of what will be next year's draft. So thanks again, man. Good hearing from you, man. I appreciate it. Okay, we know the season's going to look a little different. Many fans won't be watching in the stadium or bars, But from home, and if you're a cord cutter, don't have some special sports package, that means resorting to streaming football through some sketchy illegal streaming site. Fortunately, Miller Lite had an idea on how to bring the game to everyone, so get this. Miller Lite actually trolled fans looking for illegal streams to watch last Sunday night's game by creating a bunch of streaming lookalike sites that fooled people into thinking they were watching the actual game. These fake sites turned out to be an insane ad for something called the Miller Lite can antenna. It's a real can of Miller Lite with a digital TV antenna so people can watch Watch football with their friends. Why would Miller Lite do this? Because even though football season might look a little different this year, Miller Lite wants to bring fans together in a new way. This easy-to-use digital TV antenna does more than bring fans the game. It creates more time for Miller time because when you aren't focused on finding illegal streams or worrying about your bank account being hacked, you can just be yourself with friends. There you go. The Miller Lite antenna. Stop clicking around and start watching football with friends. Because when it's game time, it's Miller time. If you want to try and grab one of these for yourself, go to Miller Lite Cantenna.com. Again, that's MillerLightCantenna.com to enter for your chance to watch high definition football on a beer. This is totally true. They sent us one. Um, the kids love it. The kids are just arguing over it left and right, being like, Dad, I want to use the cantenna." <laughs> Sally's I, I will had- say, I've
1: went on that website like ten times. I don't know if it's gonna work, but I am I am entering just like the rest of America. It okay. seems
0: very cool. No purchase necessary starts nine eleven twenty, ends ten twelve twenty at eleven fifty nine PM Central. Must be legal resident of the US, must be legal resident of the fifty US and DC, twenty-one years of age or older. Cantennas are available only to residents of Colorado, DC, Florida, Idaho, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nebraska, Nevada, New York, NC, that's North Carolina. SC South Carolina and South Dakota and Wisconsin boy, they really if you were a moron on your state abbreviations that would be a tough, tough read. See official rules at middlelight for entry instructions, prizes, restrictions, etc. Hey, who wants a Madden code? All right, let's do it. Um, CJ37 DqNQ KF54. there you go. Madden 21. In the game. That's for PS4. Boom. Okay, we'll get to life advice here. I, I just don't have a ton on the hoops because um Bill and I are doing the mega one now. We're going to do a Thursday. So if I'm Wednesday, I'll do a bunch of hoops on Wednesday because we got the two games. The Denver thing is oh um, it it feels a little predictable. And I love that this is happening for Anthony Davis. I do. And as far as Boston having Hayward back. I don't know, this is, I'm not giving you what you need right now. This is not the kind of effort I I normally give you. So I'm not going to just do some half-ass headline thing. So I'll be crushing it for you on Wednesday. How's that sound? All right, deal. Because the bill part of it is is all hoops. So we're just, you know, kind of sticking to football on this, on this Monday recap. Although I do love the story about Paul George giving a speech to the team after they lost. And every, like a lot of dudes are like, dude, just stop talking. Just stop talking. That makes me feel like, you know, just there's certain times you're like, all right, you know what? I think, I think I have this on lock. I think I have it all figured out. All right, cool. So you want details?
1: Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Okay. Uh, this emailer wants to be named Tommy. That's not his real name. That's okay, right? That's good. So life advice, uh, life advice, rr at gmail.com. Okay, uh, call me, Tom. Big fan of the show. For some reason, your podcast is the only sports show my wife can stand listening to with me. Okay, shout out to your wife. Might have something to do with the Cape and Island references since Martha's Vineyard has quickly become our favorite place to live, even in late fall, not just summertime. I'm a law student looking to get into corporate law in Boston, but every now and then I seriously consider the idea of just joining a tiny law firm in Egertown. They'll pay far less. Eggertown is uh, one of the towns there, just for those that don't know. Um, Pay us less, but just living there year round. Ooh, so you're thinking about doing this. Okay, this is a good one. 27 just became a dad a month ago. Easily the first of my friends to have a child. Most aren't in serious relationships yet, and yet my friends have at least seemed interested as many ask for pictures each day. Oh, Okay. I also know that this will likely get old and nobody likes the guy who makes every conversation about their kid. Also realizing it would be harder said uh, than done to not do so because suffice to say, uh, he consumes most of my daytime uh, energy, daytime and energy. My wife and I at least intend to maintain our own lives, not let our passions, hobbies fall by the wayside due to parenthood. I'm also, I also freaking love the little guy and I understand where those dads are coming from when they bring uh, up their kids all the time. Yeah, no, this is, um. I think this is all really good self-awareness and all that stuff. Uh, I think parents, I have, you know, different, um, different groups of parent friends. And I'll notice that some have just decided, yeah, I'm going to have kids and I'd be there for my kids. I'm going to be a loving parent, but I'm also not going to, I'm not going to just stop doing what I want to do in my life. I'm going to go on trips. I'm going to leave my kids with parents. That's why, you know, some people love living near their family because you have that option. it's actually an incredible thing to have if you think about it. The option to drop your kids off at your parents and go on long trips. I have another buddy who has a ton of cash, and I think he owns part of a nightclub well i don't say one I know he does and uh he and his wife get after it still, and they um you know once every few months when they're going to have a big night out, they'll make sure a nanny is there to sleep overnight the night before so they can come in late and you know whatever, and then in the morning. know blues clues and juice boxes and they can they can wake up when they need to wake up that may sound terrible to some of you uh and honestly to stay out that late and have kids kind of sounds terrible to me in in general but i think that part of it we're like look let's not because there are parents too that that i felt like you just want to be a parent you know like there's friends of yours that just want to have a ton of burden it's almost like they root for it. I, that's something that's just happening more and more in society, by the way. Like, people rooting for things to be way worse than they are. Like, oh, geez, you know. Like, what do you mean? Like, do you want to go to a movie? Oh, my God. This kid. Okay, so you're never going to do anything the rest of your life because you, you had a kid. You know, other people have had kids, and they they still will do some things. So I like that you are pointing this out. And yeah, like you... It's different, right? Because it's your kid and you're incredibly proud. But if you're saying you don't want to be that dad, uh, I always try to ask about my friend's kids because I am interested. I I like hearing about what's going on. But yeah, there's there's also a line too when it's somebody telling you like how I think that the key here is and this is all the same thing, is that if you're going to be proud mom, proud dad and talk about your kid, I think when it starts to stretch into the weird category is when you start pretending like your kid's Captain America. And he's like the only one doing anything cool. And that's where it can become annoying. Be like, Oh my God, he's killing it in math. Like the he's six. Level. Yes. So good. <laughs> he's six. Be like, Oh, you know, his T-ball games, he's, he's you know, he stole a hundred bases. Yeah. Doesn't everybody just whip the ball into the outfield? Cause no one can catch. Yeah. But I mean, he had like seven. Yeah. He, he had like seven inside the park home runs the other day. Be like, don't they not keep score? And it's like three innings long yeah but you can tell his hand eye is insane. It's on a t though, right? Just double checking like he's still eating his boogers, yeah, but his hand eye is is nuts, all right, so you know what I'm saying like it's just they're. And sometimes you can't help it as a parent, as some of you as parents, you just won't be able to help it. And you know what? It's all coming from a good place. It's all coming from a place of love. So if you love your kids that much and you're so enamored with them and you're a little annoying about it, there's far worse personality traits you could have. And as I get older, even without kids, I I don't worry about it as much. And I always try to ask about my uh, friend's kids, not because I'm a phony, but because I wanted to know how they're doing, because, uh, you know, I know how hard it is for a lot of people out there, too, that that you know, try forever, try forever. And that is something where, when your, your friends finally have the kids after years of, you know, it gets, it gets really weird. You know, it sucks. It sucks when your friends want to have a family and it takes forever. All right. So this is not the part of the email, despite as much time as I took on that. Um, the second part is if you were starting a family and had a job career that allowed it, would you consider moving back to the vineyard year round? The answer is an emphatic no from me. Um, a couple things. things, uh, because I I'm not like a native and people say that because I moved around a lot when I was a little kid um, and then I even moved there when I was a month into my sophomore year. So I moved there when I was 15 and I brought it up before, but it wasn't the easiest place to move to at all. Like I'd always been popular. Everything had worked out. Um, people liked me. And then for whatever reason, and I kind of like had a little bit of an attitude myself. So I just was different and it was a very laid back. Uh, People weren't moving there back then. It was in a massive recession time to the early 90s. So I think it was 1990. Uh, Yeah, it would have been 1990. And so I'm not a native. I'm the oldest of five. And I am very different as far as the vineyard connection thing to the rest of my siblings. Because here's something you have to understand. Now, you're going to be thinking you're living some sort of dream moving to these places. And moving to these resort areas, it, it is great in theory But you have no idea how you're going to feel about it until you actually do it. So it becomes a very like people fall for this all the time. And it would happen uh, because I remember one year I took a semester off because I had this bartending gig lined up and my father was doing a house. And so I was going to be able to work construction during the day, bartend at night. I was sick of being broke all the time. So I was like, I'm going to go back up to school with some money. But the funny thing is too, because I was from the vineyard, everybody thought I was like loaded, loaded. And I wasn't, I just wasn't. I mean, my, my father did it all right by the time we lived out there to have a living. And, and none of us certainly were, were going to bed hungry or anything like that. But the vineyard is a self-sustaining community. I pointed this out before, like there, there's all level, like somebody works at the checkout counter, right? Somebody is in the service industry sheet rockers um you know the, the whole thing and it becomes a really it becomes a kind of a weird place to be um year-round unless you love the isolation because there is a romanticizing of living in any of these resort areas where you go man wouldn't it just be great to just kind of live here and maybe you're wired for it maybe it's great like my father was wired for it he liked it um I think it was kind of like this lifelong dream to go live in some really cool place. But it's not, I just don't think it's that. It's safe for the kids, so that part's great. But um, the, the concern you could have for your kids is that if you become kind of like a native kid, like if you were a kid, like two or three, and you move there, it's basically like you're native, even though you're not allowed to say it. There's this odd attachment that places like Martha's Vineyard have, Nantucket has it, certain places, points in the cape i think ski resort towns that are kind of like fun year-round towns but it's still a seasonal thing have this draw to it um some some maybe like bigger cities like a new orleans that has a, a real different vibe to it where you grow up in it and you're always like this magnetic pull is always pulling you back now look if you can make a living and you love living there who's anyone to say that you shouldn't do it but there's a real gut check moment when it's November, the wind is whipping because you're on an island and you're, the boats are canceled for the day and you want to just go to a high end restaurant. If you work in Boston, like you can't just go to the North end and pop in for like a great spot on Hanover. All right. You can't just last minute say, hey, you know what? I feel like going to a Celtics game. Um if you want to go clothes shopping, yes you could order everything online, but like if you never you may not be in a normal clothing store for months at the time until you take the boat and go over. So if you like the isolation part of it, that's fine, but there's two things. Like don't do it just for you, think about your kid. And I would say if you're really really thinking anybody that ever wants to do this, just just go ahead and do it. And I would argue like less than 25% of you will actually Stick it out. I'll never forget that semester taking time off, and then two guys were like, "All right, well, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take time off too, and we'll all get a house together." And I was like, "All right, but what are you doing?" They're like, "We're gonna live here year round." I go, "Okay, but you know, it's great in the summer, and then September is an awesome month, and then it starts getting real quiet. And if you like quiet, fine, and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And if you can have a living, that's great. Most people can't sustain a living, and it can get a little Like I think a lot of us will have this moment where I want to live in Montana sometimes and I'll go, you know, it'd be great just to be in this little mountain town, little community, morning paper, go get breakfast, say hi to everybody, wave. And that's how I'm going to be when I get older. And it's like, no, you're not. You're like, you're still going to want to go to SEC games and you like being on the beach and you like being in the mix every now and then when you have to be in the mix. So you're making up this version of a life that you'd be bored of in a few months. But I think we always kind of do this. I think men do this more than women sometimes. And I don't know what that is about escaping or something. but and I think that's what's great about women is a lot of times they'll be like, "What are you talking about?" That's the dumbest idea ever, and you'll be like, "Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe this is stupid." So there you go. That was a long, long advice, but I just would hate to uh, hate to have anybody move to the vineyard. And I'm not even like dumping on the vineyard. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you got to be wired very different. And I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. All right, I think we'll end it on that make sure you subscribe rate and review the Ryan Rosillo podcast. We're going to booger him on next week as the sec gets started. Uh, we will talk with him, probably a little college, a little NFL. Mike Vick is coming back again soon and we get a lot of really cool stuff planned for uh, next, uh, you know, stuff for the, we're doing for the rest of the football season. All right. So we'll keep that going. And again, uh, please subscribe and spread the word. And we'll talk to you on Wednesday.